Welcome to Season 7 of the Art of Teaching podcast. I'm Matthew Green, and I'm so grateful that you've joined me today. It's wonderful to know that there are teachers across the globe that are finding our episodes useful. So please take the time to subscribe, share the episodes, and leave some feedback. Before we get started, I would like to acknowledge the Darawal speaking people who are the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm recording. I pay respects to the elders past and present of the Darawal Nation and extend that respect to other Aboriginal people that are listening to this. I hope that you get as much out of our discussion as I did. Please enjoy. Today I have the absolute pleasure of sharing a conversation that I had with Jen Buchanan. Jen is a passionate educator, strategic thinker and world traveller whose story is truly inspiring. She is a future-focused educator with a vision to make schools better. Jen's wide-ranging career spans multiple schools and numerous countries. She has forged a career as an educator in progressive schools around the world, including Green School Bali, Think Global School USA, and more recently, Prez Hill School in Melbourne. Jen has a track record of creating positive, engaged, and innovative learning environments in schools, and is passionate about creating equity for all students. This interview covered so many areas, including her role as a convener with future schools, how to transform learning communities that pioneer the future of education, and how to advocate for student agency, igniting the creative potential in each young person as they navigate their educational path. This was a wonderful conversation, and I'm so grateful to have had the time to chat with Jen. Jen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much uh, for joining me. Where are you phoning in from? I'm here in Melbourne. Absolute delight to be talking with you today. Lovely. What's the weather like down in Melbourne? One of my uh, one of my favourite cities in the whole world, Melbourne. Well, there you go. Something else we agree on. One of my favourite cities in the world. Uh, patches of sunshine, a little bit of cloud, but quite a beautiful day for for Melbourne. Fantastic. It's usually about four seasons in every day down in Melbourne. Yeah, I think we've had that today. <laughs> Um, quite possibly uh, the most important question, uh, what is your coffee order when I can finally buy your coffee? Oh, soy flat white. I'm trying to cut out the sugar. That's still okay. my my guilty pleasure at this stage. Okay, lovely. Um, I know Melbourne uh, in Sydney, there, in Melbourne and Sydney, there's a bit of rivalry uh, with coffee culture, um, but uh, I think Melbourne is well and truly winning, but maybe I'll edit that comment out before. <laughs> Um, is, is there a book that you have read recently? It could be uh, to do with uh, education or it could be personally that has really made you stop and reconsider a few things in your life. Yeah, I, I mentioned this book quite a bit, actually. Um, ironically, it's sitting on my desk as we speak. Um, <laughs> is The Adaptation Advantage. So I came across this during lockdown in Melbourne uh, out at Reading's Bookshop when it was open for a couple of days. Uh, and it was an author, uh, Heather McGowan and Chris Shipley, okay. and they talk about the, the future of work. Uh, let go, learn fast and thrive in the future of work. Absolutely has shifted my thinking on many points in education and the future of work. 
Fantastic. This podcast is um, becoming quite expensive for me because uh, every time I speak to someone, I have a, a, a book list that I have to order. Uh, so uh, I will add uh, I will add that one to it. Um, Do it. Absolutely. If you could have a dinner party with anybody, uh, who would be there? Obviously, your family uh, gets a free seat at the table. But is there anyone that you'd like to sit down with other past or present? Oh, wow. What a great question. Um, first thing that jumped to mind. Um, I've lived, worked or travelled over the last few decades in over 60 different countries wow. and I've met people from all walks of life, amazing people. And I often think how much fun would it be to host the ultimate global party and invite them all? Wow. Uh, that, that would be one intense dinner party, but I'm sure it would be a lot of fun. Amazing. That sounds great. Um, and uh, is there a view or perspective that you think is true that other people think is crazy? Yeah. Um, okay. Might be a little bit crazy. I'll throw it out there. Um, I don't buy anything new. Um, so if you ever see me deliver a keynote or do a presentation, you now know that my outfit that I'll be wearing is from an op shop. Uh, my secret's out there. Uh, I started this a, a while ago as my gentle nod to not wanting to contribute anything to fast fashion and not wanting to do anything that had a negative impact on my fellow human beings, but also the environment. Um, so everything I own is upcycled, recycled, reused, and I have a couple of exceptions, but on the whole, try to live by this philosophy. Um, and exactly. it's the first time, Matt, that I've actually shared this publicly. So that is, wants to talk more about spook. it. Look at that. That's great. Um, <laughs> Jen, what was, your, uh, what was your upbringing like? And what are you most grateful for uh, from your parents? Yeah, great question. Um, I grew up in the suburbs of Perth, in Perth in the 1980s and 1990s. For anyone else around my vintage, you know, it was a time where transport was on an Indy 500 with, uh, you know, my bright yellow stack hat. Amazing. And I grew up a time just before the internet. Uh, the first time I logged on to the internet was at my first year at university. And I still remember this excitement of being connected to a, to a global world. And ever since I can remember, there was always a, a map on my wallet in my bedroom. And I just had this desire just to be overseas. At the age of 19, I got on a plane and I headed to London. And I guess that's what I'm most grateful to my parents for is that they just let me be me. There was wow. never any judgment, only ever support. And uh, after London at the age of 25, I was offered a position with the UN in Timor-Lorisay. Um, this was in the year of 2000. Um, and it was a tough assignment. I arrived in this country that looked like a war zone. And I think back on how young I was at the time, but also very determined and I think as well, like, what amazing parents to have supported this and subsequently the many, many other crazy adventures I've been on. Mm, that sounds so interesting. Um, obviously, uh, you mentioned before we hit record that that in your house there are um, uh, some 20 and 21-year-olds. Do you uh, advise them to do the same thing and, and, and travel the world? Are you? Oh, absolutely. You know, the last two years, having watched a couple of... Uh, watching these girls and their friends being locked down especially here in Melbourne and now yeah. the world has just opened again and this sense of excitement to get to watch it from the sidelines as they're about to you know one's heading off to London another one's doing travels of um, in outdoor education across Australia just go out there and see the world it's a, it's an amazing place. And what do you think um, traveling that extensively taught you um, about um, humanity about education about people what are some of the lessons that you learnt or have learned during that time look it all comes down to community for me uh community when we feel um that we have a sense of belonging when we feel valued when we feel connected to others I, I feel 
you there's a sense of empowerment and I've noticed this across the globe when people feel empowered then there's that chance to make a change a positive influence so really it doesn't matter where you are in the world but being able to be connected and to be able to possibly understand where your own biases sit mm. um, and why they might be there and then how you work to overcome them. Um, mm. Because when you're connected with people of different perspectives and worldviews and different cultures, you it opens possibilities to your own thinking and the way that in which you view the world. So true. Absolutely. And for those people that are not um, familiar with your work, and we will um, uh, touch on it later in our discussion, um, can you just give us a brief history uh, of your career in education and how did you get to where you are today? Because your life seems fascinating. I've been following you for a while. Um, it seems like you're always doing something really interesting, but um, where did it all start for you and how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, my career has been definitely an international one. And I don't know if I intentionally set out for it to be so international, but right. I arrived in London in the late 90s, just, you know, fresh degree in hand. And I rocked up to time plan supply teaching in uh, in London there. And I was offered this job uh, teaching Irish travellers in schools across the east end of London. I had no idea what I was doing. But off I went. And um, today, I think there's still actually a book that I illustrated at that time that is still being used in schools in Newham Borough in London. Amazing. Fun times. Um, from there, I guess education just took a sidestep from anything that were, that I perceived to be mainstream. Uh, there was a few years back in Australia at Timbertop, the year nine campus of Geelong Grammar School. Yeah. Uh, and then more recently, when I say more recently, in the last 15 years or so, I headed over to Saudi Arabia to take up a position of head of secondary at uh, the British International School in Riyadh. Yeah. And at the time, uh, I remember thinking, you know, if I'm going to go international, let's just go to the extreme. And Saudi Arabia to me at the time was probably the most extreme country I could think of in terms that you couldn't just get a tourist visa to go there. And when this job offer came up, I was just like, let's just do this. So Saudi Arabia for three years. And then that led me to green school in Bali for a number of years. And then more recently, a traveling international school. It's called Think Global School. It's a, a traveling international boarding school where you live, work and travel in four countries a year. Wow. Um, I'm now back in Melbourne, Australia, after three decades of literally traveling the globe and now work with future schools. Fantastic. I was having a conversation yesterday with Russell uh, Cayley. Um, oh, a good friend of mine. Yes. I had so many questions for him um, <laughs> and it was uh, just really fascinating to see how um, his organization and the organization that you're part of as well um, is asking some really fundamental questions about what a school is, what, what, what it's for, and also um, the role that schools play in societies. And it was, it, my head was spinning after that. And I said to him, I emailed him this morning and said, we need to have another conversation because I just did not get to everything that I needed to. And um, I mean, what's your experience being, um, uh, what, what, what was your experience work, working at Think Global? What was that like? Yeah, look, Think Global School, um, again, for listeners. So the school has a cohort of uh, about 60 students in each cohort, and that cohort travels with the students and staff to four locations a year. So you're in country. Um, I'll give one of my experiences, you know, Rabat in Morocco, and you're there for six weeks, seven weeks, um, and the students and staff, you're engaged in project-based learning, place-based learning, inquiry-based learning, where you're given uh, 
a, a topic to explore. So rather than having this predetermined curriculum, which is the experience of schooling for many young people, mm. um, which I might even argue, you know, beautifully prepares them for the past, I think Global School has a curriculum that's preparing our students for the future. Fascinating, fascinating. Once again, I have so many questions about that, uh, but um, so what does what does your life look like now? What consumes most of your time? I mean, you seem to be at uh, most conferences that get that come in my inbox. You seem to be speaking all over the place and and consulting. <laughs> but what uh, what's the majority of your time spent doing at the moment? Yeah, look, um, there's still a fair bit of travel, um, but there's something quite lovely about being home. Uh, there's some, again, I talk largely about community and connectedness. And as much as travel is exciting, there's something even more exciting and, and rewarding about being connected to people. So I love living in Melbourne. I've been here four years and life is a, uh, a little bit quieter than in the past, um, but it's nice to put the backpack down and just be closer to family and friends. Um, in terms of the work side, more recently, just kind of allowing the flow just to happen, um, really allowing what it is that I value to kind of guide the work um, yeah. and finding a balance there. So, and it's something I'm passionate about, this area of building global awareness, working across cultures, building community as kind of a foundation to shifting education to be far more globally connected so looking back on your experience in teaching you went from teaching quite a traditional school to obviously one that is incredibly uh, innovative what was something that changed in you that made you uh, pursue that career path because I don't think most people would have had the courage to do that I find that um, a deeply inspiring but also slightly terrifying so take me back to that process for you yeah it's an interesting question and one that I often reflect on like why did I go this path um yeah. It's a hard one to answer uh, because I'm answering now as a um, in my late 40s. And, and I guess what I've recognised over the years is that as I get older and move through my decades, what was important in my 20s and my 30s and my 40s does tend to shift and evolve mm -hmm. and change. So maybe my answer, if I go back 20 years ago, would have been different from yeah. 10 to what it is now. And I guess just holding that, this experience of how much we shift and change, I know that the next decades, my 50s and my 60s and my 70s and beyond, there's going to be more change and a shift of priorities and emergence of opportunities and unfolding experiences that I can't yet imagine. Um, so in answering the question, I guess it's about just what is it that gets you up each and every day? What is your purpose? What is it that excites you? What is it that keeps you going? And I guess that's been my, my drive. For me, it's always been around culture and community. And by culture, I mean the, the shared stories that uh, define an aspect of who we are. And for me, it's been about this desire just to understand how, how people work around the world. Um, and this is... I don't know if this comes from stories that my, my dad told me when I was younger and that the fact that my mum immigrated to Australia, but there was always a sense that we're connected to something much bigger and this desire to explore is, has driven largely my career. Fantastic. And why, um, I know Melbourne is a, is a wonderful city, but why is Melbourne home for you? You could live anywhere you'd like in the world. Uh, how did you, or why is it home for you now? Melbourne's an interesting choice because uh, my home is actually Perth. That's where I, I grew up and that's where my family still live. 
Melbourne, I was drawn back to Melbourne at the time four years ago because of the opportunities in education. Mm -hmm. And I'd heard of Temple Stowe and the work of Peter Hutton uh, was drawn to that. Press Hill as an alternative school in one of the most uh, progressive schools in Melbourne drew me here. Um, and more recently now, having worked with Peter Hutton and Future Schools, this is the place where I need to be at this point in time. Fantastic. I mean, that was one of the reasons why I did my master's uh, down in Melbourne. It was just the appeal uh, was just too great to refuse. Uh, it's such a wonderful environment. And I think some of the questions that um, uh, that are being asked about education are, are, are too fascinating to miss. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much for that answer. Um, Jen, take me back to when you were at school. What were you like uh, as a school student? Oh, let me think back a few years ago now. Um, I actually really enjoyed school when I think back on it. So I know I hear a lot of people that didn't enjoy school, but I think the reason I enjoyed school was, again, the time that I went through education. You know, I was there in the 80s and the 90s. And I'd argue possibly my experience was a little bit more free than maybe what we're experiencing today for a lot of young people. I remember doing subjects like youth leadership where we had hiking and canoeing in the week. And I remember I was heavily involved in the arts and photography. So a lot of my subjects were, were possibly a little bit more creative. They took me outside of the classroom. Um, there was a lot of involvement in community. I remember playing a lot of sports. And so my when I look back on school, this is what I remember. Hiking um, in the southwest, going on cycle trips, um, being part of, like I remember taking photography classes and, and having the freedom just to be able to leave school to go and undertake an, wow. a, a photography workshop. And I question a little bit, like that was my experience back in the, the late 80s, early 90s, whether school has that same level of freedom today. Um, possibly that not. Seems, that seems very, I mean, sorry to show your age, but that seems very progressive for the 80s and the 90s. Um, were there a lot of schools doing that? Um, I mean, I went to school in the UK, um, so I don't know what was happening over in Australia in that time. But was that was that unusual for schools to be that that liberal? Oh, that's a good question. Again, I'm talking from the perspective of a, a student, but at the time in Western Australia, there was the unit curriculum and it was quite a progressive curriculum. Um, and I, if I do look back on that, we're talking like 30 years ago, uh, I'd say it's a lot more conservative now than what I experienced as a student um, Interesting. at this time. Mm. Interesting. Um, was there a teacher uh, that had a significant impact on your life and if you had a chance to, uh, to thank them? That's a really interesting question. I had um, Mr. Holyoke, and I did actually reach out to him fairly recently within the last couple of years, and he was a science teacher. And he encouraged me because I ended up back at the, the same school where I'd gone to, uh, gone to high school, Rossmoyne High School. I went back there from one of my placements. And he encouraged me to go out there and see the world before I became a, a teacher. So I think I was on like my second or third placement. And I remember him having a conversation with me as, as two adults, as I was moving into more out of the student-teacher relationship into more uh, a colleague relationship. And his words were that, go off and see the world before you get into a career. Um, and it was kind of in my mind. And I think just having that confidence when you have somebody that kind of believes in you or gives you that um, little bit of a nudge, I was like, yeah, I can do this. And so that's uh, I reached out to thank him a couple of years ago for that. That's um that's really lovely. I, my teacher, the teacher that made a difference in my life was a lady called Beth Taylor Jones. I still struggle to call her Beth. Um, and so um, I actually had her on the podcast a little while ago and I was surprised how emotional 
I got. Um, and uh, it, I think about five years ago, I went back to the UK to see my family and and saw her and my wife was with me and I just gave Beth this big hug and my wife turned around and said, yeah, that's really, uh, it's really not cool. You probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I was just a mess, but it's it's a reminder, and even to see you light up when you, you you talk about him, it's a reminder of the the power and the significance that teachers have, I, I think, on our lives. And I, I don't know what Beth taught me in her class. Um, I, I have no idea, but I remember how she made me feel when I walked into her classroom, um, and it was a time that was particularly traumatic. My parents had just separated, and my whole world was sort of turned upside down. But I remembered that when I went into her class that I felt safe and I felt valued. And I'm sure she did that for the 35 other children in her class. But sometimes it's hard to quantify what great teachers do. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Do you remember how the teacher made you feel? Do you remember that experience mm. of being in class? What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I think going to actually come in on a point you've just said, because I think it's such a, an important one. Our need to feel valued as people mm -hmm. and our need to feel a sense of belonging. Yeah. That is the power of what we do as educators. We yeah. create communities with our young people where each individual walks in. And as you said, you felt valued and you felt a sense of belonging. And this business of education is really the business of building relationships, of building mm. communities, building belonging. If we can get that right, yeah, the education will take care of itself. And I often talk with educators about this, so that's just about building a culture of um, of that is human-centred, a culture that is rich in fulfilment, joy, and belonging. If we can get that right, we're, we're, we're nine-tenths of the work is done. Yeah, so what do you think there? This is a, a huge question in a podcast series in itself, but what do you think the purpose is of schools? Because... When I was at school, it was about knowledge and it was about having a set of uh, complete encyclopedias on the bookshelf. And now that seems pretty redundant. So what is the purpose of schools and where do you think, where do you see that heading in the future? Yeah, the, well, so much has changed over the last couple of years. And, um, and we, we've heard this talked about quite a bit, you know. We look back on 2019 and we look where we're heading now into 2023, mm. we have quickly transcended in a short period of time those traditional borders. Mm. And um, our schools are now places where we need to be collectively questioning deeply and considering deeply how the decisions we're making in our roles are preparing our young people not for a world of tomorrow, but for the world of today, where yeah. a world of today where they already need the skills to be able to understand their own biases, to recognise the nuances of how different cultures function, and to be able to connect and collaborate with people with worldviews and perspectives that will be quite different from their own. We've increasingly become far more interconnected and far more global, and we did this at a really accelerated play, uh, pace. So what are some of the, the lessons that you've learned from travelling the world and seeing great schools? What do great schools do? Are there any sort of common elements yeah, it's funny there's a lot of schools um that are viewed as being alternative um when we and I, I often see this when we say great schools like or innovative schools such as green school in bali or think global mm -hmm. school and there's a number here in australia as well uh but i'd like to challenge that these are not alternative schools or these are not progressive schools what these are these are the new mainstream mm. these are schools that offer a different narrative to the one that we've being forced to accept and 
because for many young people across Australia and many young people who may be listening to this podcast, their experience as school is, as you said there, Matt, is a place of knowledge acquisition. They're sent to school to learn stuff. It's that simple. And they're learning stuff through a curriculum that's predetermined and often quite narrow. And you could argue that much of what they're having to learn prepares them beautifully for the past, but possibly is unpreparing uh, under-preparing them for what they need in the future. Mm. And for many of these young people, as school is a place that favours tradition and hierarchy and uniformity and competition, but that's not the new world. You know, as there are no exams and standardization and the grading of people against each other in the future of where of the future of work, where they're headed. So schools such as Green School and Think Global School and a number of other schools uh, that I'm we work with in the future schools learning community. They offer an education that responds to these emerging trends that are changing not only the way we live, but the way we socialise and the way we work, not only locally, but globally. And we need to start looking, I say need to start looking because schools are actually already doing this. It's possibly we need our media and our media commentators to catch up and and to, to help us craft the narrative of what we're actually seeing, where education is far more around the skills and competencies that allow us to be able to adapt and respond to increasingly complex uh, changes Um, where learning is far more co-created so it's not just a hierarchical kind of top-down approach we're we're actually learning together it's inquiry based around questions that are actually pertinent that are questions that are affecting us all and it's a value being placed on individual needs so what is it that drives us Um, and far more about autonomy autonomy for all of us our learners and our, our staff I mean, it's so important, and we, we look. We all agree that we need to change the way that that um, uh, that we construct schools and construct learning experiences. But it can almost seem too overwhelming. So, like, where do we need to start? Do we start at teacher training? Do we start at policy? Do we start in the classroom? Where can we begin to make these changes? Because respectfully, not everyone has access to the incredible resources that some uh, more privileged schools may have. Um, so how do we, where do we begin? There's so much, there's so much to do. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's a big one. Let's start with leadership. Mm. And I th- I often think about leadership when I think about the word of and where it's changing to leadership. And for anyone that's in leadership It's about empowerment. Um, And in leadership, we often have a vision of where we're headed. It's about empowering those around you to collectively realise a vision. Uh, And again, it comes back down to this idea of community, creating a sense of belonging, feeling valued and connection. Um, Because when people feel this, they feel empowered and amazing things can happen. So leadership is, is shifting. It's not so much about you. It's about the people around you and collectively how you can work to this change. Yeah, I mean, that seems so different from the more traditional top-down approach to leadership. I'm so grateful uh, that it is changing uh, because when I was, when I, even when I first started teaching in schools, it was very much you do as I say, keep your mouth shut and, and, and form. But um, are you, I'm sure you're glad that that is changing now. I mean, it must be a good thing. Absolutely, but it's also, it's a difficult thing as well. You know, for leaders, they've been hearing for decades the conversation that, you know, we're having to prepare our young people for the skills they need of tomorrow. But for anyone in leadership, there's been a light bulb moment, especially over the last couple of years, uh, a light bulb moment in understanding that we're no longer talking about tomorrow because we're already there. 
Yeah. We're already there today. We're living in this far more interconnected and interglobal world. Yeah. And the best leaders are asking the question of how we, this, this big human we, can create this education that's far more human-centred, rich in fulfilment, joy, meaning, belonging, where not only every young person feels more connected, but our staff feel far more empowered in the work they do. And, mm. and that's the big difference we're noticing. Um, we're more connected than we've ever been. And what a fantastic time to be in leadership and to be leading this change. But mm. it's possibly changing the mindset that it's a new model of leadership that talks to the collective rather than the, the hierarchy we may have experienced ourselves. So you talked a little bit about, obviously, the work that you're doing with the Green School and Think Global. And is it is it Pres Hill School in Melbourne that you've been working with? Yes, Press Hill is one of the oldest, most progressive schools across Australia. So that's actually what brought me back to Australia after I finished at Think Global School. Uh, Press Hill had a position going and I relocated there and have since moved on to working with future schools. Fantastic. That, uh, that sounds really interesting. I mean, um, what is it about Press Hill that is particularly appealing to you? I mean, it's a lot to relocate your life and come back to Australia for, uh, but what was it that that sort of encouraged you to make that decision? I think it probably followed the trajectory of my career of uh, seeking out schools that possibly challenged the mainstream. And at the time, uh, Press Hill offered a space for young people that maybe would not fit into that traditional education. Um, as I mentioned before, there's a, there's a bit of a strong narrative that happens in education where school is a place for many young people that they experience that hierarchy and that uniformity and that conformity. And if you're a young person that is questioning who you are in the world and, and what your identity is, these places can be really tough um, yeah. places to be. And so the more opportunity we have to create learning environments where and I always come back to this idea of it being human-centred where we value the individual and let's go for it. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah, fantastic. Um, Jen, I was just having a look through your website uh, the other day and there are so many amazing resources and interesting things on there. And I was just wondering, I was having a look at a couple of your keynotes. You've um, There's three of them here. So Global Competence, the Leadership Backpack and the Social Ecosystem. Would you mind spending a little bit of time uh, unpacking each of those and just talking about why they're important priorities for you. So maybe we could start with global competence. Why is that so uh, important for you to focus your work on? Yeah, look, it's an interesting one. I think that other countries around the world are, are taking big steps towards. In 2015, Australia as a country, we agreed to this blueprint of peace and prosperity as a, as a country and as a part of something bigger here, you know, these are the 17 sustainable development goals. Here we are seven years on, and it is a, an urgent call for action uh, to develop this a global partnership with, with countries around the world. So I'm passionate about opening that discussion with people and educators in how we build our global competence. How do we engage students in projects that look at strategies that improve health and education, reduce inequality, and possibly look at economic growth? Because if you ask any young person, they already are aware that they're living in a world where issues around climate change, um, you know, whether it's working to preserve our oceans and forests, these are already pressing issues for our young people. 
so this idea of global competence and how we build this, I just encourage anyone listening, start with the SDGs. It's a good place to start in how we build connection with people and build connection with people of different cultures and worldviews and perspectives that will be quite, possibly quite different from our own. Um, our young people are already needing the skills to work globally and they will be competing on a global in a global workplace uh, and this is increasingly becoming so um absolutely yeah, yeah I, I couldn't agree more and it's, it's really um interesting to think back at some of the threads um obviously in your life your extensive travel and also your desire to support uh, to support sustainable fashion um and how that sort of uh, woven itself into your work now which i think is um incredibly important and you're right these uh, global competency issues are issues that should be and are or, or need to be at the forefront of the decisions that we're making today and I think it's incredibly important but what about your um uh, what about the social uh, ecosystem why is that so important um for you to talk about yeah look the shifts that are happening in education um when I think about as uh, our educators uh they for educators in our schools and I'll talk across Australia but even globally you know they are also working in a far more interconnected and global world, be it whether microblogging on platforms like Twitter, you know, reading or writing articles for platforms like LinkedIn and Medium, or, you know, speaking on podcasts such as this one, yeah. um, or attending and, and hosting global webinars. Our, our, our educators are far more connected than they've ever been at any point. And this is one of the big shifts that we're seeing in education and recognising in leadership. This is our, our current cohort that are coming up through education. Um, the educators that we're seeing come in, the teach, and I use the word educator as opposed to teacher, because again, um, mm. our educators are, are working in far more complex roles than, than possibly we've seen at any other point as well. Um, so creating opportunities to be able to engage and, and connect with each other. One of the programs I run at Future Schools is called Futures Leaders New Paradigms. And each term, uh, I bring together a group of eight educators that hold a portfolio around futures thinking and innovation mm -hmm. and they come from all different states across Australia all different education sectors and they work together to each put together a keynote and some research work around what they're noticing on the ground in That's their nice. schools and it's a really powerful way to learn together uh, because it's not only not only are you listening and, and learning from each other, you're having this opportunity to collaborate with people that will come from different backgrounds yeah. um, that are quite different from possibly your own. Fantastic. It, it sounds um, sounds so important. And, and considering sort of your, your third, uh, I'm sure you do more than uh, just these three <laughs> three things in your um, in, in your work, but just the, the third component I really wanted to talk about was the leadership backpack. And yeah. why are, why are, why is that so important to talk about those leadership competencies coming into a, um, a, a for teaching students for today? Yeah, look, the leadership pack, when I put this one together, it was a keynote for originally uh, the Youth Leadership Academy Australia. And this is an organisation that's uh, CEO has just turned 20 and it's a youth-led wow. organisation for youth. And Part of our responsibility, I think, is to look at ways to build those intergenerational uh, connections. So Will Massara is the CEO with it, uh, at Youth Leadership Academy Australia, and we often collaborate and share our business ideas. There's a 30-year span between us, and yet it's an invaluable connection for me to be able to be mentored and to mentor 
uh, to be mentee, both sides, with somebody that has that three uh, three decades between us. Yeah. Um, so the le social back, uh, the leadership backpack was uh, a metaphoric journey of some of the mm. items that you need to pack. Uh, things like having a map, but a map is being able to guide your journey, but also important to keep checking in because at times the landscape does change around us. So we need to keep checking in to make sure that the backpack, uh, the map that we're following is still relevant for where we need to be going. Or another item is, uh, you know, your glasses that you pack, being open to, to looking at other people's perspectives, yeah. taking on other people's viewpoints. So it's a fun keynote that just shares stories from being on the road and the items that we we pack in order to be able to engage with people from a wide range of backgrounds. Fantastic I mean it seems um, it's, it's obviously not a, a backpack not just for young people I would imagine I think it's really important that school leaders have a backpack with similar resources in them. Uh, 100%. That, absolutely so how do you uh, Jen how do you define um, leadership and we've, we've talked about it a little bit but how, how would you define it how how do you think that's changing what do you think are some of those sort of essential qualities of school leaders? Yeah look it's uh, again I'm going to come back to that point of empowerment and building communities but also yeah. recognizing in doing this there's some challenges for for our leaders in today's uh, context. As a leader in a school today the busyness and the familiarity of what we do our day-to-day -day tasks especially in schools because they're busy places, <laughs> it keeps yeah. people immersed on the ground floor, so to speak. Uh, though to be a leader today, you need to have a high-level perspective. You need to be able to get up on the balcony, so to speak. This is a, a phrase from adaptive leadership. And getting up on the balcony talks about having a higher-level perspective so that when you're up on the balcony, you're able to spot emerging patterns, what needs to be responded to, what's actually happening out there. The very best leaders are able to do with this in balance. They're, they're able to spend time on the ground, ground floor, on the dance floor, we call it, but they also have an awareness of not only what's happening in their immediate environment, but the ability to craft time to be able to take on a much higher-level perspective in order to be able to adapt and respond to what's happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess that's it. When you're on the balcony, you know, you're best able to see it's not just our students that are living in this far more interconnected world yeah, and diverse definitely. and changing world. It's all of us. Definitely. Do you uh, do you miss being in schools and being in classrooms? Well, interesting you say that because I've just had a conversation with a school today about going back in there two or three days a week to be a, a futures leader in residence, um, to be able to work with staff and, and be around and to be around students. And actually, I have continued on as well. My other passion is the, the visual arts and um, uh, I throw a lot of pots on my little potter's <laughs> wheel out the back. So every Wednesday afternoon, I do head into a school and I just teach an electives class. And it's a great chance just to switch off for an hour or two and just work with young people. And I think there needs to be that balance um, to, be, have, to have an understanding of what's going on you need to be around young people and in the conversation. So that's been an important part of my work is actually still keeping connected with schools. Yeah, I, I think that's in, incredibly important. I mean, one of the, the tensions that I, like I'm an on-class assistant principal um, and I I love both having a foot in the classroom and also a foot in, in school leadership. But I, I feel passionately about um, being on the ground and knowing what's happening inside classrooms so that I can make decisions. I mean, one of my fears is that I would continue to progress up the ladder and I would miss those opportunities. I mean, is that a tension which you have to try and keep somehow? Yes. And 
For me personally, no. And it's been an interesting one. Uh, my career for a while there was on that nice trajectory of just, mm -hmm. you know, slowly moving up. I found myself suddenly, you know, in a head of secondary role. But then equally have jumped out of that role and gone straight back into the classroom. So when Green, and this is probably, again, thanks to, to mentors and people around me, but when Green School presented, it was as a, a visual arts teacher back in the classroom. And I can remember having a chat with uh, the, the CEO of the school at the time and saying, you know, what do I do? Do I, I'd been offered another position that was, you know, on that nice kind of progression upwards in China, uh, in Shanghai. And it was at Dulwich College. And I can remember the choice being presented, Green School or Dulwich College. And I remember him just saying, just follow your values. And that was the most powerful piece of advice of just like, what is it that you value? And for me, it was about, at that point in time, was really around sustainability. Um, I'm talking around 2015, 2016. And just this increasing awareness of how we work in the world. And when Green School was offered, it was just a simple decision of following values and best decision I made, I think. So, yes. I think that's really important and also incredibly brave um, because, and we talked previously about um, how it's just easy to stay doing what you're doing. And I'm sure a lot of people sort of ignore that niggling um, that that pull in their heart about which direction to take, and I'm so glad that you were brave enough and continue to be brave enough to make those decisions that that allow you to follow your passion and follow your gut. And I think is that something which is sort of really important to you to to uh, get back to those core values and decide, okay, what is it that is uh, crucial right now? What are some of the things that I love? Yeah, definitely. Look, Matt, I don't always get it right. Uh, I try. Yeah. But the demands of every day do sometimes kind of, I think, cloud judgment in a way. Um, I have the same worries as I think a lot of people, you know, I do worry about whether I've got enough money for retirement, cost of living, you know, there's still a mortgage to be paid and kind of trapped in a few of those yeah. societal restraints, yeah. I'm going to say, that kind of keep us tethered to a job. Um, yeah. But I guess... As well, making sure that there's a balance. So I, I mentioned earlier, I just got back from the Jatbula hike up in the Northern Territory. Um, now looking at just Lara Pinta for next year, taking some time off to go and do the Camino. So what is it that keeps a balance in there? And that's about that passion. You know, what is it that in your life gets you up each and every day that gives you a sense of purpose? And for yeah. me, it's making sure that I make time for creative, creative, creative pursuits, whether it's painting or drawing or ceramics. Um, I get up each day and I go for a run, um, making sure that my health is a priority because, again, if you don't have your health, uh, life's a bit of a struggle. So mm -hmm. it's about keeping everything in balance. Have you always been good at that? Because teaching tends to um, take over your whole life unless you're careful. Is it, always, is it something which you've always prioritized or have you got better uh i've definitely yeah. got better but maybe i've had a bit of a luxury of being the the art teacher <laughs> the media teacher the photography <laughs> teacher you know i used to sit in parent teacher interviews and nobody really calls up the art teacher you know we've we're given a <laughs> it's a quite a nice job to be in i'm just gonna say it but it's yeah. and you, you get to be creative and um some of the rich conversations i've had over the years of yeah. there's something about the art room that is a really safe space for young people uh so definitely i chose the right subject area um and you get to create alongside students as well i think that's it is uh it's that was probably the hardest part of stepping out of out of schools was actually stepping out of the the visual arts and the media and that creative pursuit so i have to be intentional around that in my own personal life
and this is a, a, another broad question and feel free to define it however you uh, however you wish but uh, what is it about art and the uh, pursuit of the arts which is so important to you? I mean, you mentioned that you um, are a, an avid potter, if that's the right term. Yes. Um, but what is it that um, that that what is it that excites you about that particular pursuit? I, I reflected on this earlier this week, and it's possibly in parallel to a lot of the choices that I've made as well. Of the visual arts gives you permission to find your point of difference. Mm. Yes, we we learn from from what's gone on beyond before us um, and art that's being produced. And I think uh, there's something super powerful about being connected with that, but also having that permission to go off and, and try and find your point of difference. Um, and possibly that's what I found with the career in education that I've had. It's I've actively sought out schools that allow me to be just a little bit different. Um, and I think about our students as well, but as a staff member as well, for me, mainstream schooling just was not a fit um and I not that I didn't give it a go I did have a couple of years in a in a fairly mainstream independent school in uh, in Perth and I lasted about three years and it just wasn't the right fit um yeah so I think it's about that just finding things that allow you to to find your point of difference in the world what is your own identity mm, I think that's uh that's essential I mean you, you seem like someone who is sort of endlessly curious and excited about life it seems it seems to be an incredible adventure and um, how do you how do you maintain that you talked a little bit about self-care and pursuing your interests but how do you maintain that 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 wonderful awe and wonder um, for the world because um, I think respectfully as people get older I think it's very easy to it's very easy to lose to lose that and I wonder if there'd be many people that um at, at your stage in life that were continuing to to really push themselves and pursue passions as as heavily as you are oh that's yeah that's an interesting one we actually talk about that quite a bit at home yeah. um because it's easier not to isn't it like uh, well, I mean we were talking yeah. about this uh, as we just finished the hike the jet buller hike um I flew in on Sunday from from Darwin and it was tough Matt you know it was uh the temperatures were in the early 40s to mid 40s every day and we're hiking on the escarpment across Arnhem Land up there in the Northern Territory. You're hiking on the lands of the Jawan people and you're walking in footsteps that have thousands and thousands of years of history. And for me, the reason I, I enjoy hiking so much is the simplicity of it. it. Like It becomes down to a point that you can only put one foot in front of the other. That's all you can do. And when you get into camp, it's about food and water and sleep. There's no phones. There's no distractions. Okay. But it was so hot. You know, we were up in the early hours of the morning. We had to get up at three in the morning and hike during the night because uh, the environment was too too harsh for, for hiking during the day. Um. And as I got to the end of this, this hike, I thought about life as kind of like this, this circle. You know, we have all these experiences sitting inside this circle. And it's about having the opportunity to kind of expand that circle, like just to push it a little bit more. And this is how I view it of kind of like, now this experience of the last five days is just push my circle a little bit wider, has made it a, 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 a di the diameter has increased. And it will never, ever go back to what it was before. Like this experience of the last five days has fundamentally changed me and now has given me an energy to look at just, uh, okay, now I have this confidence to look at the next next adventure that I want to go on. And I guess that's it. It doesn't have to be monumental. It doesn't have to be big. It's about just 
again, that purpose, what is it that drives you? What is it that's going to allow you just to push that experience, these small little goals that you set for yourself? Yeah, I think that's, it, it's really inspiring. I mean, I, I, I love uh, running. Um, I absolutely love running. And I, and I feel like there's a spiritual element to it. I think, and and I feel like when I'm running, I feel free. I'm not particularly fast. Um, I, but I just, I just, I just love it. I love the discipline. Um, I had the privilege of uh, doing a number of years ago an ultra marathon uh, through the night, and it was just, it was really, really incredible. And that 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 feeling of like it's just you, it's just the trails, it's just, um, it's just whatever food you've got on your back and you better keep walking because no one's coming to get you. And so like, it was really, I really love that. And for me, it's about putting myself in those, um, uh, being part of those experiences that force you to, to really push yourself. And it's, it's inspiring to, uh, to hear some of your stories. I mean, how was the Camino or sorry, the, the Camino track you're heading over uh, next year, you were saying? Just decided that today. <laughs> My wife wants to go, so we might see you over there. I'll be carrying two children. Um, I don't know if that's the right look, but uh, why <laughs> do you want to go over to the Camino track? I mean, why not? Um, <laughs> again, just these these experiences. Um, it's been something we've been talking about, my partner and I, and we've just come back. We're, you know, on a bit of a high from this hike. And it's just like, why not? You know, you get one shot at this life. So, and I guess that's a, like, I, I have to sometimes temper the conversation a little bit because I find you, you, when I talk about these experiences and these travels, yes, they were they were my experience, but it doesn't have to be that extreme for, for everyone. It doesn't. And I'll share my running story for anyone just to bring a bit of humility into the conversation. So at the beginning of COVID, um, I remember having a whinge about being in lockdown and the swimming pools had closed and the gym had closed and all these things. And um, someone said to me, well, just take up running. Anyone can run 5Ks. And I remember sitting on the couch thinking, I'm not sure I can. But anyway, there's an old treadmill in the garage. So the next morning, uh, while people were still asleep, I I go out to this treadmill and I set it for for 3Ks. And I did this run for three kilometres. And I don't think it was any faster than a walking pace. And I remember getting off that treadmill and thinking, how am I going to make it up the back steps? I could barely walk. So that was uh, just over two years ago. And... And likewise, I'm I'm not a not a fast runner, but it is something that I try and do three or four times a week, yeah. and and just to set myself little challenges. And yeah. I found 10k's is around my, you know, that's where I kind of sit. That's what's comfortable for me, and it's um, that it's really it's really wonderful to hear. And I, I think one of the things that I love so much about running is that there are always people that are better than you. There are always people that are about at your distance, and also always people always people that you can help. I mean, I, I, uh, a couple of weekends ago did the, I usually do the Sydney marathon every year. And um, I thought I'm just not fit enough coming out of COVID. I'll do the half marathon. And I almost died. I got, I got beaten by uh, two people dressed as Luigi and Mario. That was how humbling that was. And but at least <laughs> I got out there and I, I said to my friend, like, look, at least uh, I just kept going. And so I think it's really important to do these things that that just challenge you. And as you said, it doesn't need to be as extreme as walking the Camino track or, or, or um, in our case, we did the Inca trail. It doesn't need to be these big things. It can be these questioning of assumptions that we've held for a really long time. And I think it's uh, yeah, incredibly important to, um, uh, to ask those questions and to place yourself in a position where you feel like you are challenged and stretched. I think it's, uh, 
Absolutely. It's about just pushing that bubble, just what yeah. it is that where your circle of experience is and what is it that you can do just to increase that experience. Yeah. And whether it be something like if anyone's listening and wants me to join, you know, join me on the, the buying nothing new, set yourself a goal, do it Great for idea. two months, do it for three yeah. months. But just to set these little things that challenge the status quo, that mix things up. Amazing. And Jen, I want to be respectful of your time. I know you uh, probably got a lot of other things that you could be doing today. So hugely grateful that you're talking to me. But let's just imagine hypothetically we're sitting down and having a coffee and I'm um, a brand new graduate teacher um, and I'm about to step foot into the classroom for the first time. Um, What advice would you give me? First, I would say you're in the most exciting career. Mm. Despite what you may read in the media, and there's some pretty powerful voices in the media that craft a different narrative. Um, Education for me has taken me literally around the world. So make it what it is that you want for you. Um, Yes, there are day-to-day challenges, but I guess that's the other thing as well. Nobody tells you that there's challenges in regardless of what you do in life. Like It's not just a... But the, uh, the media seems to hijack the one in education and there's quite a few negative stories. It's not. Get to know you, the young people in your, your classrooms. Uh, get to hear their stories. Um, if you've heard from anyone the, the mantra of, you know, don't smile until second semester, put that out. Get to know them. Develop okay. those relationships first. And if you get those relationships right, then everything else will fall into place and, and bring your humanity, be vulnerable. You will not know everything. The, the future of work is asking us to be adaptable, to be able to respond to change. And that's okay. Um, if a leadership, if you are listening, if you're in leadership, build the capacity of the people around you, your team, um, support them through changes of, uh, or challenges of vulnerability, challenges of, adaptability and being able to respond to change allow them the space but as a a young educator coming there coming into this profession seriously one of the most fun professions and it's becoming far more global as well so if you want to travel stay there (laughs) fantastic I could not agree more and um what would you like your legacy to be in the space that you're in oh that's a really I'd love people to I'd like to look back on my career and say, yep, we not only got people thinking, we got people doing. Because in everything in life, it matters less about the words you use. What matters more are the actions that you put in place each and every day to make a difference. So that would be it of just uh, getting people beyond the just the thinking and the talking, getting them into the action. So if you're a teacher in a school today, what is the one thing that you're going to do in your classroom to make a difference? Fantastic. Sounds great. I I feel like you're well and truly on track uh, to do that. Um, And final question, Jen, um, where can people find out more about you? Where can we follow the amazing work that you're doing? Yeah, uh, I'm fairly active on LinkedIn. That's about my, that's my social channel. So look me up on LinkedIn, but also head over to futureschools.education. That's our website there and come and connect and let's have a coffee. And if you're looking for your tribe of future focused educators, let me connect you with them all. Fantastic. Well, Jen, thank you so much uh, for your time. I'm I'm hugely appreciative that you would talk to me today and uh, uh, you're such an inspiration to me uh, from all the way in Sydney, uh, and uh, it's 
it's wonderful to see uh, the amazing work you're doing. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, an absolute pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussions. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. And I've also created a private Facebook group where we can continue the discussion there. The link will be in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and can't wait to see you for next week's episode.